may be seated. Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have been justified by faith. And Paul says, therefore, rejoice. Rejoice because we have peace with God. We have reconciliation. We're brought back to God. Rejoice because we stand on grace. We, we don't stand on our works. We stand on the grace of God. We have the hope of God. So rejoice in the new perspective that we have with Christ. And we have the spirit of God. Rejoice. The very presence of the living God is in you when you have Jesus. And so we're going to be called into a relationship with Christ. And, and we're going to be looking at what this looks like from the scriptures. Um, how do we follow Jesus? You see, after we, we trust in the work of Christ for us, do we then go back to something like before we met Christ? Do we just keep trying to work to keep in the, the Christian club? Do we keep working to keep in the family of God? Or is it something different? Paul is going to explain what the Christian life looks like. And I'm going to be starting in Romans chapter 8. And I know in your L3 journals, you're not at Romans 8 yet. And I want you, you're going to be going through it this week. I'm going to be spending two weeks in Romans chapter 8. And, and what we're going to see is that the Spirit of God is in our lives to pull us out of sin and sin patterns and, and to pour into us so that we can have a new direction. Today we're going to be talking about being pulled out of sin. What that looks like to have the work of God pulling us away from sin. And next week we're going to look at what does it look like to have the Holy Spirit poured into us, heading us in a new direction. And so if you have your Bibles, open up to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Let me again just bring you up to speed with where we've been. We're going to look at then a quick outline of the book of Romans to gain some context to the passage that we're reading in our conversation today. Paul talks about two words up to this point. He talks about sin and he talks about salvation. And Romans 1, 2 and part of chapter 3 says this. We're given over to sin. We're guilty because of the law. And we're destined for judgment. We all are accountable to God with our lives. Many of us like to think we can just live independently of God. The scriptures say we are all accountable to God. People don't like to be told they're sinners. Trust me, I'm a pastor. I've been doing this for a while. They, we don't like to be told we're sinners. But don't ignore this. This, this is a diagnosis. Don't curse the diagnosis. If you had some health problems and you went to a doctor and the doctor took and put you in the MRI, you may not like that test, but you, you went in there and the MRI told you that you have cancer. You would hate that day. 
You would hate that diagnosis. But it's reality. It's true. I've not had one person who've been diagnosed like this come back to me and go, "Boy, I hate that MRI machine. I hate it. I just say it's stupid. We shouldn't believe it anymore. Let's go a different way. Let's just try a different path. No, we go, we go, that's what I've got. And you know what? This explains a lot. Our diagnosis for sin kind of explains why I act the way I do, why I view God the way I do, why I try to live the way I do. And it's kind of go, well, that will explain it. That would explain why I am the way I am. Scriptures peg it. But aren't you glad that Romans doesn't end at chapter 3, verse 20? I'm glad it's 16 chapters long. And so should you be. Because it says then that salvation has come in. God has provided salvation. He has remedied our sin. He not only diagnoses us, but he cures us and saves us from our sin. And in chapters 3.21, all the way to 5.21, Paul says that we've been given the righteousness of God. Where those of us who are guilty under the law, grace, God's grace, through Christ in the cross, forgives the guilty. And those of us, and all of us, because we're unjust and we fall short of the glory of God, we're justified in Christ. So on the cross, Jesus did it all for us. And the work of the cross is that Jesus was good enough for us. Jesus lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death that fulfilled the payment, the penalty for our sin. And he rose from the dead. And, and that, that we have now life in his name. Paul's going to continue this discussion. And he's going to call us to faith. You've been justified by faith. Faith believing that salvation is in Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. So what do you do when once you trust Christ? You get to this side of the cross after you've trusted in the work of Christ. What do you do? Because Paul's going to mention that we still kind of struggle with sin, don't we? We still have we have Christ But we aren't really convinced that the way of Christ is right for us all the time. So what has God given us to help us in this? He's given us this concept called sanctification. And sanctification is is the whole picture of God pulling us away from sin and freeing our lives for a new purpose. His purposes, his direction. You may not realize this, but you sanctify things almost every day. Yesterday, I was getting dressed and I reached down into this pocket and I found there was cash. There was cash in this pocket. I pulled it out. I'm a cash hawk. Okay, I know at all times how much cash I have. Eighty bucks in this pocket. And unfortunately, well, my wife was there with me and she saw the 80 bucks. And and so I said, here, you take 40. Happy Valentine's Day, you know. It's the gift that keeps giving. And I started realizing I what I did is I took it out of lostness. I found it. It was really excited. I found the thing. And of course, it doesn't stay in the closet anymore. Right. It's set up for the Hishma spending plan. It's ready to rock now. Okay, we can use it. We can use it. Jesus Christ purchased you out of lostness. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. And he found you. No longer lost. And now he's not just going, look what I found. And all of heaven rejoices. He says, now live, 
live in the freedom of my purposes with my direction. That's what sanctification is. And Paul says, basically, sanctification, we're given the spirit. We're salvation. We've been given the righteousness of God. Sanctification, we realize we've been given the spirit and we've been given the spirit so that grace can lead us into victory where grace forgives us with salvation. Sanctification comes and says grace now leads us into victory and where salvation says that the unjust were justified. Sanctification says now the forgiven live in freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. So don't go back to sin. We're trying what Paul's trying to give us is a new appetite for life. No longer controlled by sin, but set free by the spirit. And so we realize this. We realize that we're saved because God is a God of grace and Christ completed his work on the cross for us. And we're sanctified. Why? Because God is a God of grace. And, and the spirit dwells within us to guide us and empower our lives. So why is it that I run and I've, I've grown up in the church, but I run into a lot of Christians who think that after the cross, it's just a whole nother set of a law and, and restrictions or rules and regulations. Why do so many Christians try to sanctify themselves? And here's a good question that I have to just put out to us. Is sanctification the work of God or is it the effort of us, the effort of those who believe of man? Paul asked this question and he asked it over and over in, in, in Romans chapter six and Romans chapter seven in bringing in the law to the picture. In that before Christ, uh, if you don't trust in Christ, you're kind of thinking, well, God's out there. And if I'm good enough and if I'm better than you, then God will look at my life and go, OK, you'll be in as long as you're better than most of the people in this world. And you can say, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than that person. As long as we have that person in our life, we're not dependent on Christ because God never compares you with anyone else. He compares you to Christ. <gasps> he compares me to Christ. Yes. There's no way I can measure up to Christ. I'm not perfect. Exactly. Exactly. So stop trying. Start trusting in the work of Christ. After you meet Christ, though, what is why do you have the spirit? Well, you have the spirit to, to really come alongside you, to actually be paired with you in your life. It's like Paul says in Romans six, verse six. Read this with me. He says, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, this is the whole picture it is that Paul's argument is saying that we've been identified with Christ. We're aligned with him. But now, not just in his death, but now in his life through the spirit, we're liberated Sin is no longer our master. Sin no longer tells us what to do. Our impulses should no longer lead our life. That's the flesh. You've been given the spirit. So follow the spirit and be set free. Paul, Paul tried to do this on his own. And in Romans 7, verses 18 and 19, this is the tension he had. He said, I know that nothing good dwells in me. That is in my flesh. He says, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability 
to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. He keeps on, you know, he struggles with this. Um, he not understanding or experiencing the spirit. We realize we cannot do this alone. So we all have sin patterns in our lives. And some of us like to just compare our lives again on this side of the cross with other Christians and go, well, I'm not like that. that I don't have an alcohol problem, so I'm looking good. I don't touch the stuff, hate this stuff, you know, and we pride ourselves that we don't struggle with that sin. But if we're honest and if we look in the mirror of God's word, we realize we've got a problem with self-righteousness that puts ourselves over others and ignores the cross and the grace of God. Or we have a problem with gossip that when we don't like things that are happening and we've been hurt, we'll tell other people we never go to the person we've hurt and we operate like that. And we then we share it as a prayer request. <gasps> you know, we think we can spiritualize it. And it comes down to us just operating in the flesh and us think. And Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do. I don't. And he gets he gets uh, he gets that picture of frustration. And we have to realize that we cannot live the Christian life alone. You're not saved at salvation. And then God says, OK, bye bye. See you when you die. And by the way, let me just assure you, you have your ticket out of hell. So just, you know, hang in there, you know, and you know when to hold them, no one to fold them. OK, we'll see you when you die. No, God, God is saying, no, 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 you can't do this on your own, I, my, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to come alongside of you and I'm going to empower you with my spirit to get pulled out of sin and set for a direction of freedom in your life. You see, many of us operate on this desire that I want to please God and I want to love God, but I just got to do it on my own. And so I can do it on my own. We, we, we buy into the lie that desire plus work is what sanctification is all about. But the scripture says, and Paul just repeats it over and over, desire plus work equals shame and guilt. Shame and guilt because we can't do it. We always fall short of it on our own strength. You can't live the Christian life on your own. You must have the power of the Spirit of God working in you. Secondly, some of us think that if we just have a desire that we can be good enough or we have a spirit of God, so I'm just perfect already and therefore I don't need to work on it. I just wait until, you know, Jesus returns and I'm going to be okay. Well, that leads to destruction, too, because you ignore the battle. You ignore the um, the reality of sin and the power of sin in your life. Many, many in our culture today believe that if you just have desire and and you're sincere about what you believe, that's enough because God really just looks on you if if you're as sincere. But you know what? We don't live at all like this in reality. If you come across an accident and it's a horrific accident and there's a body on the ground and the person's crying out in pain and the body is kind of contorted and you go up to it and you go immediately, you you go compassionate. And you go, I've got to do something about this. And you get out of your car and you go and you pick up that person and you move them over to where. Stop. Stop. Anyone trained in emergency response would say, leave the body. 
don't touch the body. Why? Because you could do more damage with a heart of compassion than if you had the truth. And the truth is, keep the body, wait for the professionals to come so that someone's not made up uh, paralyzed as a result of your heart to try to help them. You've got to have the Christian life is meant for both a desire and truth. We got to have both. The truth always wins. We can always run into problems. There's things I've done with the right motive, but it was the wrong action. And we get to this point where, wow, we get frustrated. We put up our arms. How do I do this? And the answer to this, Paul even describes his own life in these two endeavors. In Romans 7, verse 24, he says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That word wretched man that I am. I mean, just take it and just kind of wrench out a cloth that's filled with something. That's the whole picture in the Greek word for it. In other words, I've tried. I tried and it didn't work. I got nothing. I got nothing. It's, It's I'm used up. Who will save me? And then he answers it. Thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus or Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the whole picture. The solution is, is only God can sanctify me. I cannot sanctify myself. Only God can pull me out of sin and set me towards freedom. And God does that through the power of the spirit. Sanctification, then, folks, is the work of God to make me more like Christ. Pulling me away from sin, setting me to the free to good news. That's why I've got to do this. I've got to keep the good news, the good news. Don't don't accept the good news and then turn it into bad news. Jesus saved you. He 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 died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Now, be good, doggone it. So many churches do that. This says God is good. You're not be good. We'll see you next week. You know, it's that kind of picture. And, and we're really called into no, no, no. the good news, what God has started in you. God will be faithful to complete in you. It's the work of God. Keep it the good news. God, the one who saved you, is the one who wants to lead you and direct you. God is the one you've trusted in in Christ, in his work on the cross. And God is the one you need to continue to trust in after salvation to pull your life out of sin and move into the freedom as a child of God. The reality to this, folks, is this. We don't realize how addicted, how subtly addicted we are to sin. Of doing life our own way. Of having a weakness that we just somehow get more pleasure in than we do trusting in the work of God for our lives. I read this week on one of the most extreme areas of addiction, heroin addicts. And when a heroin addict is going through recovery, when when they go through, they have huge withdrawal, amplified withdrawal symptoms. Um, one one man wrote that I lay there on the bed and I, I could, there was no position in which I was comfortable. I had bone and muscle pain. I was throwing up. I couldn't sleep. I had the shakes. My body went from cold to hot, hot to cold. Blood felt like it was boiling in me. And yet this was the power of of an addiction so much stronger than the power he had within himself. You can't just go to an addict. Just stop it. Just stop it. You can't do that. I, I mean, you could do it. It's not effective. 
Because the power of that addiction is stronger than the power of, of their own lives. And, and that's why you need a greater power to come alongside that person. That's why sanctification is the work of God to make me more like Christ. It's, it's called into our lives where, where we're weaning off. We all become people in recovery from all those patterns that that show the independent life away from God, that show the pattern of self-trust rather than the trust of the work of Christ in our lives. We're called away from it, out of slavery, into freedom with Christ. So what, what will happen in my life when I open up my life to the power of the Spirit? In the same way that God doesn't pull us kicking and screaming to the cross, okay, where he shows us the truth of the cross and he shows you the reality of your life. And that explains a lot. And then he calls you to be a person of faith. Where you trust in his work on the cross, the same thing in sanctification, we can be people who believe in Christ, but still choose apart from Christ. The whole picture of the Christian life is God wants to lead you away from what you used to be. And transform your life. How does he want to transform it? Well, the first area he wants to transform are your thoughts, your attitudes. Let's continue reading in in Romans chapter eight, beginning with verse five. He says, for those who live according to the flesh, set their minds, underline that that phrase, on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Here we're given that options for our attitudes. We're given attitude and thought informed by yourself, by your flesh or the world around you or attitudes informed by the word of God and the spirit. What do you want your life to be about? More of you, more of this culture, more of this world and its influence, or more about God and Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? It says that, um, you know, your your whole flesh, to live in the flesh, your attitudes are hostile to God. There's a lack of submission to God. And therefore, you cannot please God. You cannot please God apart from the spirit of God in you. Everything that God takes pleasure in you is not of your own. It's of Christ and the spirit working through you. You cannot please God. A life without God will experience death without God. But with the spirit, we're shown an attitude that as we set our mind on the spirit, we're no longer hostile to God. We agree with God. We agree with his work in our lives. We're available for his way and we take our pleasure in him. We just make that angle of pleasure. My joy, my pleasure is going to be in a relationship with God. No longer about me. And therefore, the result is a transformation. We get that peace and we get that life with God. So every day is that decision. Am I going to think and, and operate in the flesh or am I going to or am I going to live in the spirit? This is huge for us because 
Because a, a thought and an attitude always constructs an idea and a plan. And a plan results in an action. That's how temptation comes into our lives. It comes in with a thought. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians five verse, or 10 verses 5, he says this. We take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. He nips it right in the bud there. Before it's even a seed planted into the ground of our minds, he goes, where did that thought come from? Make it obedient to Christ. In the power of the Spirit, the Spirit always is going to say, that thought, flesh or spirit? Start listening here. Flesh or the Spirit? Every day, whether or not you know it or not, you decide to think and set your mind on the flesh or the Spirit. And if you choose not to even think about either, you've automatically chosen the flesh. There is no there is no neutral ground here. I either choose to live in the flesh or the spirit. We're called to set our mind on the spirit and let his truth inform our lives. Secondly, we're going to see a transformation in um, my assurance, not just my attitude, but my assurance, the confidence in which I live versus the fears and worries of a godless existence. Um, Look at what Paul says in verse 9. He says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Catch this. The same spirit and power that rose Jesus from the dead that you believed in when you trusted in Christ, Paul says, is alive and at work in you. Not a different spirit. The same one that rose um, Rose Jesus from the dead is alive and at work in us. Therefore, be assured, if you have Jesus, you have the spirit. The spirit isn't some, you know, force that kind of stays away and goes measure up. Go to church one more time and I'll be in your life. Pray just five more times. Mention me six more and I'll be in you. It's not something we summon because with a mantra. Okay. The spirit of God is if we have Jesus, we have the spirit. There's some who believe that you get the spirit when you're baptized, but that would discount the picture of baptism and it would discount the power of the cross. You're given the spirit when you have Jesus. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. And he sent his spirit to reside in us when we believe. So if you have Jesus, you have the spirit. Now, the fact that you don't listen to the spirit, you don't walk in the spirit. That's beside the point. You have him. You just haven't been listening to him. So we're called into this picture of allowing the spirit to inform us and spirit to guide us away from sin and into freedom. And therefore, we're called not to be people who live and have an assurance of or a fear of death. We're to have the assurance of life. And as I follow the spirit, that confidence of the work of Christ is just going to build in my life. That's why that's when when you walk away from the spirit, your assurance is questioned. And that's why I have people all the time just go, I don't just know how I could be a Christian and do that. 
Well, that's not going to give you an appetite for more of God. That's not going to show you necessarily the work of God. It's going to show you your own work. And Satan would love nothing more than to give you shame and guilt and throw your life like I question who you are and whose you are. So walk by the spirit. Live. Live in the power of the spirit with life rather than death. And that, that, that's also going to move us into action. Action, not just attitudes and assurance, but action. Look at verse 12. It says, so then, brothers, we are debtors. Another translation is we have an obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you the spirit, if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Paul's saying here that that my actions will either be destructive or they will be life-giving. And here he says, through the word obligation. We have an obligation that we're purchased out of slavery to sin. And so many of us go, yeah, I'm no longer a slave. But we just form another master. Because in the theologian named Bob Dylan, he said, we all got to serve somebody. We are. We're serving people. We are worshipers. And, and instead of placing our creator God in that place, like Romans 1 say, we tend to exchange the truth of God for a lie. Instead of worshiping the creator, we worship and serve the creation. And, and so we exchange God for a lie. We just move to another God. It's not like you can just go, I'm going to move to nothing. No, you, you are by nature. Part of who you are created the image of God. You are a worshiping being. And therefore, that great void within us all is to have God fill it. Our creator, the God of the scriptures. We're called to be people then who don't stay in destructive patterns, but move our life towards life giving patterns. Our behaviors, our behaviors. We can no longer we no longer have to behave in 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 slavery to sin. We no longer have the excuse. The devil made me do it. Okay. No, wait a minute. You chose no longer to trust in the spirit. That's what it comes down to. When we sin, we make a choice away from the spirit and into the flesh. We're under obligation now, then don't you know we've been set free. Don't live under slavery anymore. We're called to be aware of the spirit and obey him and experience life giving. A life-giving actions and behaviors in our lives. Not only that, is we're given, we can do all this because we've been given a new identity. And the work of the Spirit is going to, again, speak to me about my identity. Look at verse 14. He says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. That's a very intimate term for God. And the Jew who heard this, who had been practicing the law, would go, let's not refer to him like that. He's high and lifted up. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. He's your heavenly father now. He's your father. The spirit himself, verse 16 says, bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. We're no longer, folks, slaves. We're sons. We're called to walk into our new identity. 
We're children of God. When Abraham Lincoln uh, signed the Emancipation Proclamation, uh, all across the South, African-Americans just rejoiced in the joy that they were no longer slaves. They were set free. But the grim reality came over many of them. And, and many, many uh, people grew up under slavery, could not imagine what life would be like without the security of their master. And so they became shadow slaves. They became men and women and children who knew no other way of life. But they feared the outside of the plantation or the outside of that environment. And, and so they just stayed there. And the master kept calling the shots. And they went to their deaths, fearful of freedom, rather than, than, than courageous and to walk away. And a greater authority than themselves said, you're free. You know, we do this when we fear what trusting God can look like in my life. When God is speaking to me through the spirit about something, whether it's I'm reading the Bible or when I'm convicted of a sin in my life, I have a choice. I have a choice to go, whoa, that's scary to trust you in this one, Lord. It really is. I don't know if I trust you in this. And I'm just open with him because here's what I fear. I fear that if I trust you here, I'm not going to have enough. I'm not going to be enough. I'm not going to do enough. One of those reasons I usually put out there, if I'm honest. And I just hear, whose way do you want, Joe? Whose way do you want? More of you? More of me. And the Spirit comes in and just reminds me, you're no longer a slave. You've been set free. The Spirit says, you're a child of God. Now, many of you have been abused in your childhood. We just, when we pull back the curtain of reality in our lives, many of us have come from backgrounds that have just been horrific. And you've been beaten up or you've been called worthless or you've been treated like you're worthless by people. You know, it is so hard when someone of influence in your life has told you that and treated you like that for anyone else to come and say, no, 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 you have infinite worth. You've been given dignity in your creator. It's really hard for you to trust that. That's why we need the spirit of God to tell us we need to have lives that are biblically informed. Not culturally informed. Our culture will always tell us we're not good enough. We don't have what it takes. It's never enough. The scriptures come in and tell us anything you're going to be is because of me. And I do it because I love you. Because you have great worth. So much worth that Christ came for you. Because of the love of God. You're my child. And folks, we've got to stay connected to the scriptures in our life. That's why uh, after the first service, a guy came up to me last night and said, that's why I got it. I got it. that's why I'm supposed to read my Bible in the morning. Exactly. Yeah, because you want your life to be informed. You want God to speak to you before you want the world to speak to you. And, and we got to position our lives to where we're reminded. I'm Joe Hishma. I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And, and then we move from our identity. We then move into a picture of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is going to create a greater appetite for the reward of God, the inheritance 
of the blessing of Christ. It says this. And if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. It's this whole picture. If you're a child of God, you have an inheritance. And now with Christ, you have your heavenly father and you have our brother Christ where we inherit his blessings all because of what he's done for us. We have an inheritance. We're heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, our brother. We're given the blessings of God. We're also given the relationship with God. You know, in this life, our picture of inheritance is a little skewed from the biblical picture. In inheritance now, someone has to die. We have to lose someone before we get that inheritance. And when they die, we lose that person, but we get their things. In, in the biblical picture of sanctification, we get Christ and we get his blessings now, now and in the future. And there will come a time when sanctification turns into glorification, when that independent spirit, when our struggle with sin will be taken from us and we won't struggle with God anymore. We will enjoy and take great pleasure in him and his way in our lives. And so we realize we're no longer orphans. We're heirs. We're we're no longer trying to perform so that dad doesn't leave. And we're no longer trying to test the love of a parent because we don't see ourselves as lovable. That's how orphans live. We're we're heirs, heirs to the promises of God in a relationship being restored, recovering from sin. So are you available for this? This transformation to happen in your life. Are you available to the spirit with your attitudes? Are you available with your assurance? Are you available with your actions? Are you available to to allow God to teach you what a child, what his child as a father ought to be? Are, Are you willing to be available for this new inheritance, not the reward of this world, the reward of your heavenly father. Well, I want you to come back next week. This is two parts. I really need you to come back because now we're talking about how he pulls us out of sin. Next week, he's going to talk about living in freedom. And here's how we live in freedom. I'm just going to give you a precursor. I'm going to develop this in the latter part of Romans eight next week. It's this way. Being available to the spirit means that I'm listening to the spirit. Secondly, it means that I'm learning from the spirit. And third, let me before I go to the third, let me just say this. You can listen to the word every day in your life and not learn from the word. That's called my high school career. I was in class, but I wasn't learning. I was hearing information, but I wasn't open to interacting with it and calling it truth in my life. And then and then. We need to be willing to follow the leading of the spirit in our lives. We need to be men and women who go, no, 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 I can't do this. The walk with Christ, this isn't, I can't, I don't have the capacity to live pleasing Christ. I've got to follow the spirit's information that leads to transformation and obey 
the word of God in my life. That's what we want to be, because here's what here's what the spirit is ultimately going to help us do. He's going to be able to help us follow the greater law of God. That means loving God with your heart, your soul, your mind and your strength. And the second one is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. As long as I operate in the flesh, I cannot love God and I cannot love you. Why? Because I love me. I'm in the center. And what the spirit is going to do, he's going to coax us away from ourselves and a life that implodes on ourselves and is destroyed by ourselves. And he's going to put God at the center of worship and he's going to put others in our direction, sharing more of him with people around us. We must have the spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for loving us, loving us far better than we deserve. Uh, Heavenly Father, help us to be men and women, boys and girls, who seek to be led by your spirit and turn away from the flesh. Give us a consciousness, an intentional life that is available to you to do great things in us and through us and steps away from a self-empowered, self-dependent life. Thank you that this is all your work, and thank you for being faithful. Even though we sin, you, you remind us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We thank you. Now help us live a life of love in the Spirit. For it's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.